This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 79, part A. Listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-founder, co-host Nolan Martin. With me today, as usual, co-host, co-founder, Aram Denisian. Aram, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great, Nolan. Let me uh, introduce our guest today. Folks, Lisa's son grew up in California, the daughter of Taiwanese immigrant parents. She overachieved at a young age, graduating from high school two years early and funding her Yale education with six part-time jobs, scholarships, and financial aid. After more than a decade as a consultant at McKinsey & Company, she took a solo trip around the world and decided to start her own clothing line, Gravitas, that promotes body positivity, inclusion, and self-confidence. Six weeks after its launch in 2013, Gravitas was featured in O, the Oprah Magazine, People, and the Today Show. The business has taken off since and includes, among its activities, a commitment to AAPI causes and New York City's Garment District. Often called the dress whisperer, Lisa is also a highly sought after public speaker who likes to impart her hard won knowledge on Gravitas and how to best harness it to other women. She is the author of Gravitas, the eight strengths that redefine confidence. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. What an honor to be with you all. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So Lisa, as we kick this off, perhaps we start with defining the term so integral to both your company and your book. Gravitas. What is it exactly? And why is it so critical for both our personal and professional lives? You know, when you look up the word gravitas in the dictionary, it's dignity, importance, depth of substance. It's really something around presence and confidence. And I was told this very early on in my career that I lacked gravitas. And so spent the last 23 years on a journey to figure out what it means. Uh, how we defined it is a little different though, when we wrote the book, which we define it as a total approach to living life with self-assurance. So it really acknowledges the fact that at any one point in time, you might feel self-doubt and it's really an approach and a way to turn a moment of self-doubt into a burst of self-confidence. So Lisa, I was gonna ask if you've always just naturally been a person with gravitas, you answered that question. You said early in your career, uh, you were told you lacked gravitas. I'm curious if you can say, tell us a little bit maybe about that moment. And then since then, what moments or people have had the greatest impact on your own choice to live a life with self-assurance? Well, I think many of us have been told that we lack confidence or we lack gravitas. And when I was 22, I was at, I spent 11 years of my career at McKinsey and Company, the management consulting firm. And as an analyst, I was told I didn't have any gravitas. My boss at the time told me to buy a new dress, wear big jewelry and great shoes, which I think is a little offensive if you're making $43,000 a year, size 1820, and your boss tells you to buy new clothes. <laughs> When I asked her why, she said, well, Dumbo did not need a feather to fly. It reminded him that he could. And hmm. so it's not about how others see you. It's really about how you see yourself. So she said, when I put on a great dress, I look in the mirror and I like myself, even before I've walked through the doors. I can teach you how to be good at this job, but I can't teach you to like yourself. 
And I think so many of us define confidence incorrectly. If you've been told to be more confident, most of us cue up an image of standing on a stage, be outspoken, be assertive. You know, it's very behavioral. If you look up the word confident in the dictionary, it has nothing to do with performance, bravado, or swagger. It's an understanding and appreciation of and a trust in your own abilities, something that adults actually really struggle with. So, so the way we talk about it and the way I've learned about it is it's not about faking it to make it or performing. It's about genuinely seeing what you bring to the table, believing in that, hmm. and then it becomes an outer expression. So I would say I spent most of my 20s and early 30s very insecure and playing to what society had taught me confidence means, which is to speak up, perform. But now in my 40s, having written this book, I can tell you it really is having a strong inner mindset and an inner mm -hmm. belief that then becomes an outer expression and a behavior. Specifically, I know you're writing towards women. What is our society still getting wrong with regards to confidence uh, and what we all need to do, regardless of gender, to, to more deeply value female leadership? Well, yeah, and I would say the book works for women, men, and non-binary. In fact, a third of our readership so far has been men, and, and many men have written Amazon reviews saying, We've had an incomplete standard for confidence. Thank you for resetting it for us all and making it inclusive and empowering. What I would say is we are born fully self-confident. If any of you have ever been around a five-year-old, you ask a five-year-old what they're the best at in the world, and they'll tell you right away, I'm the best at soccer, I'm the best at hugs, I'm the best at everything. <laughs> right. And at some point between the ages of eight and 12 in our adolescence, we become self-conscious. In chapter two of my book, I write about the six forces that hold us back from becoming confident or being confident. And what ends up happening is it forces us into a mindset where we see our flaws over our potential. We benchmark our accomplishments against others, right? So there are a lot of reasons why we might be insecure. And, and specifically for women, one of those six forces is systemic bias, where the rules were not created by you or for you. So as an example, when Katie Kirk was told she didn't have the gravitas to lead the evening news, she said, it's because I didn't have testicles. Or Janet Yellen, when she was nominated to be the first woman head of the Federal Reserve, was told she didn't have gravitas because she was more soft-spoken, she was collaborative, she's empathetic. And so in redefining confidence as something where you can see your own talents as an adult, not as a young child, right? although that inner child is the purest form of gravitas, we start to change the narrative. We start to celebrate other talents and strengths that maybe society has underestimated, undervalued, or taken for granted. I'm curious if there's anyone else, I know you talked about this, this, this first kind of boss who gave you the feedback, but others that have really kind of inspired your own walk, walk um, and work in terms of this mindset you're talking about with confidence. Um, any, any, any other kind of milestones or key kind of folks who have who kind of impacted the way you think? For sure. I would say there's two. One, I dedicated the book to my mother. My mother is an immigrant to the United States, worked on a hamburger truck, college educated, worked on a hamburger truck, ended up owning a restaurant, which I worked in every summer, $4.95 at lunch, $12.95 at dinner, all you can eat, Chinese buffet and Mongolian barbecue. And when I think about the grit and resilience that it takes to come to a place where you don't speak the language and you don't know anyone and to build a life and create something from nothing. That certainly is someone who, my mother is someone who lives with gravitas. That's why I dedicated the book to her, right? If there is anyone who's going to bet on themselves, see the best in themselves, believe in possibility, it's my mother. 
And then the second one is I have another mentor from McKinsey who is, I write about him in the book. We called him Andrew. And he is a British male who grew up very wealthy. I grew up poor in a desert and we had no demographic connections, right? When you think about you meet someone for the first time, you ask them where they're from, where they go to school, you're trying to create connection. Well, if it's demographic, it's fairly weak. That reinforces, oh, I grew up there too, or I know that person too. He asked me in our first meeting, no demographic questions. He said, I can look that up in the HR system. He said, tell me a childhood memory you're proud of. And I told him about working in my parents' restaurant. He said, great, we're going to get along because I love people who knows what it's like to put the work in and who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in there. So those are two people, I think, who embody the approach that we write about. And I do think it's a reset fundamentally for how we talk about this entire topic of confidence. So much ink has been spilled about behavior, right? I can teach you how to present. I can teach you how to engage with people. Not enough is written about the mindset, the inner belief. Things don't get easier, we get stronger. So really acknowledge your strengths, even before you then take on real action in your life. I love the story in your book um, where you have this idea for the apparel company, I believe, that you're going to start. And it's your mom staying up all night because of her own resilience and grit and her belief in you as well as self-confidence that helped launch this. Well, my mom was a tiger mom before tiger moms were a thing. When Amy Chua's book came out, she said, you see someone write best-selling book all about me. (laughs) When I told her I was leaving McKinsey and I had this idea for a company, she basically fired off a series of emails that when I woke up this morning, the next morning, I realized there was an accountant, a lawyer, a business planner, all ready to execute all the things that were required to start a company. Very cool. That's awesome. Your research uncovered eight superpowers or strengths, characteristics, and traits that provide the basis for self-belief. Could you share with our listeners what each of these are and how your own discovery of your superpowers have helped you in life? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is so hard for us to do as adults is to take a self-affirming inventory of what makes us uniquely us. I think that's very, very hard. And so much of the work that I do is around teaching people that self-confidence is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. And I started asking this question, which by the way, a five-year-old can answer. I started asking audiences this question of, what are you the best at in the world? What's your superpower? And what was so hard is people would say, this was really hard. I feel very put on the spot. And I said, ask any five-year-old, they'll tell you what they are right away. (laughs) And so what my team did is we embarked on a five-year journey. We did a thousand-person quantitative study of confidence in America, 32 focus groups. Focus groups during COVID is really fun because people will tell you things (laughs) in an online chat room that they won't tell you usually, right? So they're like, thank you for the two-hour break from my family. Let me tell you all the things I feel. And we uncovered that confidence doesn't just come in one form, it comes in eight. And the eight are really powerful because they're incredibly inclusive, empowering. Everyone has a chance to have confidence. The eight are, the first are leading and performing. Leading, I'm in charge, I set direction, I inspire followership, I'm in command. The second is performing. It's what I'm doing with you today, extroversion, charisma, presenting the energy exchange between two people. What was so fascinating is 
these two attributes of confidence are the most written about, most mm -hmm. talked about, and right. yet they represent less than 80% of our sample. Does that mean 80% of us don't deserve to feel good about ourselves? So that's why we uncovered the next six. Uh, the next two are achieving and knowing. So achieving, I get things done. I have a performance mindset. If things don't work out, I get back up and I do it all over again. Practice makes perfect. I love goals. I love to exceed them. And so a lot of athletes have this mindset. Right. And then knowing I'm the smartest, most thoughtful, most well-researched, process-oriented person in the room. You want to build IKEA furniture with someone who has knowing. Right. These two attributes, the simplest way to think about them are the three women from Hidden Figures. How do three black women have the confidence to be at NASA and do the work to send a man into space. This isn't about leading or performing. This is about achieving and knowing. And as my mom likes to say, when tsunamis happen, men make speeches, women, we clean up the beaches. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Finally, two superpowers. <laughs> you know? And and she these are two superpowers that finally acknowledge that cleaning up the beach yep. is equally as valuable as giving the speech. Right. The next two are giving and believing. I support others. I nurture. I'm empathetic. Believing. Are either of you a Ted Lasso fan? Yes. Yes. Okay. So believing is his superpower. This is about positive intent, seeing the best in everyone in every situation. If things don't work out, they weren't meant to be. And if you think about Ted Lasso as a character in the first season, He's underestimated. And he says that in a monologue. He says, I've been underestimated my entire life because I don't fit the classic prototype of commander, right? He's not leading. What he says is my job in life is not to win or lose. It's to help people become the best versions of themselves. And by season three, you realize that believing is an incredibly powerful superpower, right? That's actually what powers that team to overcome adversity. And then the last two are creating and self-sustaining. My number one is creating. A lot of immigrants tend to have this. I create something from nothing. I believe in something before I can see it. Entrepreneurs, artists, like you see a lot of people who have creating really be incredibly resourceful and iterative, right? They'll bang up an idea until it gets better and better. And then self-sustaining. This is actually one of the hardest superpowers for folks to really master. Mm -hmm. This is, I like myself, I don't need to impress you, I deserve the seat at the table, and I know my value. It's the quality most needed to overcome criticism and objection without spiraling, as well as to ask for a raise or a favor. You know, asking for a promotion is achieving. Here's why I deserve the next level of leadership, my accountability, my responsibility, who reports to me. When you ask for money or a favor, you have to be willing to hear the words no and say, no worries. This is my market value. Someone else will give it to me. But together, these eight are a very complete picture now of what drives self-esteem and self-belief. Well, I'll be interested to get into that last one because that's my area of opportunity. We're going to ask you for some advice before we wrap up because we want to get something personally out of, out of this value too, based on our, taking your survey. Uh, hey, a, a combined question here. These superpowers you just talked about, do they work in harmony? Do you see some that tend to pair up together and how does that work? And the second question, as you conducted your research, do you see, like, so you said less than the two that you, the leading performing account for less than 80. Do you see ones that uh, pop up more often, maybe whether it's for women 
for men, non-binary, but you see trends and making things. So how do they pair up? And then any trends or, or commonalities you see? So what I would say is, um, and you can go to myconfidencelanguage.com to take the quiz. It sounds like both of you have done that. It's really fun. I always say it's a great Thanksgiving dinner activity, not just what we're grateful for, but what are my family's superpowers? The fun thing about this is most people in the survey, you know, when you take the quiz, most people have two or three. My mom has all eight. She took the quiz. She goes, I have all eight. And 2% of the data set does have all eight. You know, I, I don't think of this as a static thing. It's not a personality test. It's an inventory of your strengths today. And to your point, you can add to them. We find that as people age and progress, they go from having two to three to four or more because you're learning things, you're experiencing things. So it's really fun. And we're not just one thing, right? We bring lots of different talents to the table. And once you can see them, you can't unsee them. You're sort of like, yeah. you can answer my superpower question. You know what's possible in your life. What we find, and I'll speak to women as an example, uh, the most common combinations with women are achieving, knowing, giving, and believing. And as a lot mm -hmm. of my friends who saw the data said, oh, that makes sense. We're the doers who give out the hugs. Thanks. And so that combination we see quite frequently is I get things done, I'm process oriented and I do it with warmth. So I call this the highly competent, highly uh, emotionally intelligent combination. And that, that what I love about that is we're celebrating that. You know, that's often taken for granted. Um, what is the issue that we see in the world is women in particular have to be a triple standard. We have to be competent, confident, and warm. And I think when we look at versions of male leadership, you don't have to be all three. Women do have to be all three. And the example that we used is Kelly Shu at Yale in chapter two. She's a professor at the School of Management. She looked at 30,000 employee records and she found that women were consistently rated the highest on performance and results, but the lowest on promotability. And men were rated the highest on promotion potential, but the lowest on performance and results. And when she double clicked on promotion potentials, it was extroversion, charisma, and outgoingness, performing, right? Or, or, or outwardly leading. And she said, this explains why we have such a promotion potential gap in explaining gender equity differences on pay is because fundamentally we're rewarding performing in our world, in our eight right. superpowers, and not enough around achieving, giving, knowing, and believing. Yeah. So those are some, the most common combo is achieving, knowing, giving, believing in some form. I think we can get into how do you add these other components, but I also think we have to first acknowledge that the scorecard is a bit lopsided, right? right? That, that we're, we as a society reward leading and performing yep. more than we do actual results and taking care of people. And that's what was so fun to look at in the data set. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I have to jump in and in today's podcast for part A of the show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast if you haven't already. And also join us next week for part B of this awesome interview. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.